today we start a sermon series uh, called Joy Anyway, the kind of joy that arises in the middle of things that are hard and in the middle of things that are beautiful, joy that accompanies us anyway. It is in part inspired by Ross Gay, the poet, and his book of delights. Um, he went, The year that he turned 42, he decided that every day that year he would write about delight and where he found delight. And his initial thought was that it was going to, you know, he might run out of delight with which to write about, but he found even by day three or four that the churning of delight just kind of multiplied, that he kind of became a, a vehicle for delight, um, and delight just appeared in his midst. So the more he noticed it, the more delight he, he experienced. So my, my hope is that we can find that same thing as we search for joy in the midst of our lives, that when we look at joy in the book of Philippians, which is what we will be doing uh, for the next couple of weeks, that we too might um, be churning in joy, that joy might overflow in a way that is unexpected and delightful. So our passage for scripture comes from the first chapter of Philippians, and we're going to move uh, kind of slowly through the book of Philippians uh, in the next couple of weeks. This is uh, the introductory kind of salutations as Paul begins his letter to his friends in Philippi. I thank my God for every remembrance of you, Paul writes, always in every one of my prayers for all of you, praying with joy for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will continue to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I hold you in my heart. For all of you are my partners in God's grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how, long, how I long for all of you with the tender affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what really matters. Please pray with me. Holy God, give us joy. Give us joy. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In June and July this summer, we followed the short stories of Ruth and Jonah, these vivid characters from the Old Testament who remind us that God's tenderness, God's transforming love, is not just for some, but for all. Ruth, a Moabite, a stranger, a foreigner, is grafted into the long narrative of the history of the people of God. And Jonah, an insider, is called to preach against what he might call his better judgment to the Ninevites 
foreigners, outsiders, maybe even enemies. And when Jonah preaches to them, much to Jonah's surprise, their hearts are changed. They are transformed and renewed and restored. And now in these last weeks of summer, we will turn to another very short book in the New Testament, specifically the book of Philippians, where the narrative of Jesus's life and death and resurrection takes center stage. The first century people left in the wake of Jesus's life are trying to figure out how to live in response to his message and his life. Again, a tender, transforming message of love, sacrificial love for the sake of the ones who are most downhearted, downtrodden, discouraged, and destitute. Those who drew near to Jesus were so transformed that they were willing to take on infinite risk in order to ensure such deep love might be awakened in and available to the world. The book of Philippians is four chapters long. You can read it in one sitting. It's barely more than 2,000 words long. Paul writes from a first century jail, which you hear in these introductory remarks as he begins his letter. He's in jail, not unlike Bonhoeffer or Martin Luther King Jr., who in the 20th century wrote letters from prison encouraging those that were following them um, and speaking faith into the world from prison uh, during World War II and the Civil Rights Movement, respectively. Paul has been imprisoned because of his faith, uh, because his faith was seen as a threat to the Roman Empire. In an era when it is expected that you would show deference to Caesar by calling Caesar Lord, Paul instead is calling Jesus not just my Lord, a personal Savior, but the Lord, ubiquitous, omnipresent, pervasive, inescapable, and up against Caesar. And so it is no surprise to him or to us that Paul is thrown into jail. Paul was once on the other side of things, of course, persecuting Christians, but things changed for him, and this is an old story that you know. Paul had a moment of intense spiritual encounter on the road to Damascus, in the midst of his work of persecuting Christians, and his heart was opened and his life was changed. He understood in a flash, in a moment, the flourishing of the human spirit possible through the sacrificial love of Jesus. And it's not like that for all of us. Maybe we wish it would be that faith would, in a flash, change our lives and turn us around. For some of us, feeling at home in the story of Jesus takes years or maybe decades. For some of us, we feel spiritually grounded and changed one moment, and then we feel untethered again. But for Paul, this Damascus Road encounter changed everything for him, and he went from persecuting Christians to being one of the persecuted, one of the most sincere, most eager, most fierce flag bearers for Christ. Paul felt so sustained, so grounded, so at home in this still yet very new story of Jesus that he was willing to risk everything, life and livelihood, 
to go up against the powers that be and make space for this love-tinged gospel to flourish. And now he's in jail, but he does not feel alone. The church at Philippi has sent money. They have sent fellow advocates. They have supported him in word, and indeed, Paul is not alone. And in the meantime, Paul has much to write about to his friends in Philippi. They have had their own burdens, their own struggles, illness, and persecution, and internal disagreements. Paul misses his friends. He writes to advise them. He writes to comfort them. He writes to share his own story. And he is filled with a kind of prayerful joy as he writes from afar. For Paul, it has been a time of trouble for him as well. In his letter, he says that he is hard-pressed, that he is on the brink of another sorrow, one sorrow after another, that he finds himself weeping. Maybe this has been the way for you in one season of your life or another, one sorrow after another, weeping, hard-pressed. Paul is not sure that he will see his friends in Philippi again. And so we get this letter from Paul to his friends that begins with this tender, effusive salutation. I thank my God for every remembrance of you. Always in every one of my prayers, all of you praying with joy for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until the last. I sense that you feel this way about one another from time to time. I thank my God for every remembrance. These words are written on the front of our church history book. I don't know if you remember that or not, if, that, if this is a book that you have in your house. It's from our 100-year anniversary, and it holds the stories, the tender stories of that gospel-tinged love that you all share with one another and have been sharing with one another from the first. I thank my God for every remembrance. This book published in 1996 by our friend Sally Campbell. When looking back across these now 130 years of history in this place, whether you've been here often or you haven't been here for a long time, whether you have been here for decades, many, many generations going back in your family, or if this is only newly a place that feels like home to you, there is deep, effusive gratitude that goes in all directions here in this place. I thank my God for every remembrance of you. I sense that you've written letters like this before to one another. I thank my God for every remembrance. I feel it when I think of my roommate from seminary who I lived with for just four short months who is now back home in South Korea. We keep in touch with little notes back and forth, sometimes on Facebook and sometimes with letters sent in the mail or sent through a friend who visits back and forth from Chicago to Seoul. The handwritten note is, in my estimation, a testimony to gratitude, a tangible reminder of our connection across the void. Friends who are far off and yet who share with you in the treasuring of this life. I sense you have these kind of long-distance friendships as well. I sense 
You have a friend you have long loved, decades now, who means the world to you. Maybe you sit next to them at church. Maybe they are a hundred miles away. Or maybe they are now across the void, life beyond life, and yet you still feel them alongside you. Friendship strong across whatever distance there is. I feel it too in our memorial garden. I thank my God for every remembrance of you. Friendships forged across a lifetime now solidified in eternal rest side by side. Decades ago, friends bought memorial plots next to each other, and now their gratitude for one another ascends to the realm of life beyond life. I thank my God for every remembrance of you. There is a particular kind of joy that comes when remembering friends who come alongside you in the hardest of times. The one who brought you dinner after the exhaustion of a hard day, a hard week, a hard season. The one who took care of your child when you could not. The one who sat with you, who let silence linger. The one who held your arm as you tried to get up again out of the seat of the car, your body weakened by illness or injury or age. The one who spoke gentleness when the rest of the world had only harsh words. I thank my God for every remembrance of you. There is a particular kind of joy that comes in remembering, a particular kind of joy, a prayerful joy that comes across the distance when things are immeasurably hard. Not some sort of fabricated joy or counterfeit, phony, artificial, reproduced joy. When things are hard, the remembering is different. It is held at the depth of an aquifer, a kind of joy forged over time. It is a joy that is rooted in something beyond words, something sacred. It is a deep joy that lures you toward those you love and lures you to love more. Holocaust survivor and author Elie Wiesel describes a memory of a fellow prisoner trading a ration of bread for materials with which to piece together a makeshift menorah for Hanukkah. Shocked that the man would trade something so essential to his survival, Wiesel asked him, Hanukkah in Auschwitz? And the man replied, especially in Auschwitz. On a day when the lived realities of suffering were beckoning, were beyond reckoning, even there, the rites and rituals of prayer and remembrance were so life-giving, so life-affirming, that one might trade bread for candle wax, food for one candle lit against the darkness. I think of this story when I think of Paul and his remembering. He remembers with joy, especially from prison. He remembers with joy, especially when things are the hardest. He remembers with joy, especially when it takes sacrifice, when his words of remembrance come with a sorrow-tinged longing for a different way, a more flourishing way, especially when his prayers might further endanger him. I don't know how you're called to live into this kind of deep gratitude, 
this kind of prayerful joy, maybe not in the way Paul was jailed because of his commitment to God's fierce love, maybe, maybe not. But as Beekner says, Frederick Beekner, he says, the kind of work God usually calls you to is the kind of work that, A, you need to do, you need most to do, and B, that the world most needs to have done. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Paul found that kind of deep gratitude for those who care and support him, and he spoke that gratitude to them. He prayed with them, what kind of public gratitude are you called toward this week? What kind of tender-hearted letter must you write to those you love to remind them that even amid hardship, their friendship and support brings you deep and prayerful joy? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.